0: Yes, it is Thursday. Yes, it is the Two Shot Podcast. You are here. I am here. We are all together. It's good, right? Lovely. How was your week? Yeah? Um, now, this week's episode, I'll be honest. It was rather more exciting for me to record than anybody else. And I'll tell you for why. As you know... For the past year or so, it's all been over the internet, remote, Zoom, Skype, you name it, I've been doing it. But this Saturday, I got up, I was making him breakfast, and I said, look, um, I've got somebody coming round to the house about tennis, so are you alright just to, to play upstairs for an hour or you can, you know watch the start of a film for an hour while I just record downstairs because that's right, I was having an actual living, breathing human being around the dining room table I could make tea, I went and bought some pastries it was uh, it was so exciting to look into the whites of somebody's eyes and listen to them uh, and not worry about internet dropouts or glitches or you're frozen or let's refresh none of that they were there in front of me, and it's Paul Popperwell. And he drove over from Yorkshire to my house, and we sat around the dining room table and made him some coffee. Um, and we got down to it, and it was so fantastic. I don't want to go back to remote calls. Um, there's, I'd forgotten, actually, what it is to have somebody right in front of me and talk to them. Uh, it was an absolute joy and he's fantastic. Look, you'll know Paul. We talk about his collaborations with Michael Winterbottom and Paddy Considine. You know, he's been in Tyrannosaurus and journeyman alongside Tony Pitts and Jodie Whittaker. Um, he played Paul Ryder in 24 hour party people, which we touch on. Um, Most recently he was in, he popped up in the second series of Save Me with Lenny and the Salisbury Poisonings, BBC One. Um, He's great, he's great company and it's a great chat. So let's get down to the very first in such a long time, actual human to human two-shot podcast. Enjoy and I'll see you at the end. You must know about Proust's questionnaire. No. So um, I might be wrong. He was about 14 when he, uh, he wrote all these, these questions, which are supposed to be the greatest questions, and it's always in... Uh, they always give it to... Uh, guests and celebrities in the back of Vanity Fair magazine have been doing it for years. So, we're
1: going to do that. We're, we're
0: not going to, we'll just do a little Sorry, bit. I'm eating a pastry. Eat a pastry. <laughs> it's I'm nice
1: gonna, thing of his pastry. I'm going to have a
0: pastry. Well, the thing is, um, oh, hello, everybody listening, by the way. I'm with um, Paul Popwell, Uh who is the first in person guest that isn't remote and who's kindly come round to my house and was sat. Having a coffee and pastries on a Saturday morning—it's nice to see the whites of somebody's eyes instead of a fucking computer screen. Can, can you
1: see the whites of my eyes? And my glasses gone Uh-oh. clear again and yeah. dark because it's sunny outside. No, it is a lovely sunny day. Um, <clears throat> so, Paul, give
0: me a number between one and thirty. Sorry, I'm munching pastry. No, now. One it's and fine. thirty. Um, we'll do a few of these. Um, uh, um, Eleven. There we go. Which living person do you most despise? I mean, it's not the most po- <laughs> it's not it's not the most positive of um, questions to kick off, is it?
1: I don't think I despise anybody. Oh, no, mean well, it's a really no, genuinely. I don't. There are people that um, I don't feel um, kind of good about, but I don't think I despise anybody. It's probably currently one of the politicians. Yeah, but, to... but I don't despise. That's proper strong isn't it? Well, it is, and I feel
0: certainly you have to have in-depth knowledge of that person and that person's character to despise. Them. It's yeah, it's like some
1: of the politicians, they might be good people, you know what I mean? But they're making some terrible choices that make me a little angry sometimes. So despise would be a really strong word. I don't think I despise anyone. That's not the answer that you want, but no, it's probably the right no, answer. No, I think it is the right answer yeah, because
0: yeah. I didn't know what the question was going to be until oh, right. you said the number. Yeah. But sometimes, and you'll know this as well, I'm sure, as a as a dad, I say sometimes to my son if he's de- if he's describing a certain incident or somebody or something or an incident that's happened at school and he'll use hate. he'll use the word hate. Yeah, and I, I go, knew you are going to say that. We don't hate anybody. But just back down a bit. Yeah, just yeah. think about yeah. what you're saying. There. It's a
1: strong word. And he yeah. went,
0: well, no, no, I don't mean hate, but you know what I mean. I went, yeah, yeah I know what you mean, but you have you're an you're an eloquent ten year old, so choose your words a little bit better and just
1: mm-hmm.
0: back down. That's why I picked
1: 11 actually, because my son's 11. Well, should we go and pick
0: another number and see what other questions we can? 19.
1: 19? Let's
0: have a look. Oh, this is interesting. What do you consider your greatest achievement?
1: Gosh, I don't know. Um,
0: Isn't it funny being asked these questions because we never get asked?
1: My stomach just dropped there. (laughs) Don't know why. I don't know. I think it's probably uh, being a good dad. I think I'm a good dad. I hope I'm a good dad. Somebody told me recently that they think I'm an ace dad and that was like, that meant a, the world, you know what I mean? Mm. And I know that's probably a cheesy answer. I don't think it is a cheesy answer because I... think I- it's like, you know, a lot of my career has gone on hold since I've had kids. I've turned a lot down or I've kind of... But your priorities Done change. self sabotage in terms of my career in order to just be around my kids. Mm. Uh, yeah, maybe that. Maybe being constant. I mean, I'm not saying I'm amazing. Some days they'd probably say I was crap. But trying to be constant and present. Present, yeah. yeah. And be a good dad and do stuff with them and engage with them and. Teach them decent morals. Do you, like, I think. Do you, I think that might be it.
0: Do you question yourself as a dad sometimes? You know, sometimes when, say, you've got them to bed and you've had maybe you've had a particularly tricky day.
1: Yeah. I sometimes, sometimes I feel bad.
0: Sit down and. I've
1: yelled, sorry, I'm interrupting. No, you. no, 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 no. We're
0: just we're having a natter. It's fine. But I, I question myself sometimes. And, but I do think we give ourselves a
1: hard time as parents yeah I think like my mum and dad were ace Mm. right don't get me wrong but I think most people feel like this I know um, that that, like there are certain things that they might have done or not done that you want to do differently but in trying to I don't want to use the word correct but in trying to do that sometimes you miss other areas (laughs) you take your eye off the ball in other areas and you know I know we're all just ultimately doing our best But, um, yeah, sometimes if I've yelled or if I've been, like, not very present and a bit trapped in my head and a bit snappy with them or a bit, like, yeah, yeah, in a minute, darling. I sometimes kind of beat myself up when I put them to bed. Well, it's interesting. God, I was
0: a bit shit. Yeah, well, cos we got back last night after a big drive and my son just plonked himself right there on the settee and popped the telly on, and I've got... I knew I had two loads of washing to do. I had bags to unpack. I had food to put in the fridge. I've got, you know, little domestic jobs that you come home. And he said, Oh, he said, Dad, can you just chill out and just come and sit? I said, I'd love to just sit down on the settee and, and plonk the telly on, but I've got, I need to get all these jobs. I've got limited time to do these things. And then later on, I thought, maybe I should have just stopped and just sat on the setting. But, you know, we're all just... More- I get
1: what you mean. You know what I mean? Like, like that stuff is just stuff, innit? As long as there's the frozen food or the fridge food goes in the fridge, the rest of it, the washing, in theory, can can just wait. But I knew but, that in, like, about 40 minutes,
0: I'd have done all those little jobs, and, and it was Friday night, we were ordering a takeaway. I knew I had that, in the post that was coming out and we could sit down and in the end we did and we sat down we had pizza and we watched a, a new film and Brilliant. and it was lovely and we both had a little cry at this film it was amazing lovely. it was what great was so it? that this new film um I think from the Pixar bods called Luca
1: oh I saw the trailers for that I'm going to it's watch really, that Mike, it's really yeah, good yeah, we did soul we'll look forward to that one yeah, 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 I, yeah yeah I think
0: I'd recommend with that it's yeah. lovely sea
1: animals that come to earth or something yeah, like sea that sea monsters Fish, yeah, in yeah, Italy yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but it's about so much more. Yeah, there are always, always messages yeah. and depth. And it's uh, yeah, just we just uh, both had a, a little internal cry. We were, but we were just on the cusp, and even even my son, went, yeah, I was really near to going there. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Paul, tell me about growing up. Where
1: where were we growing up? I grew up in um, in the suburbs of, of Hull mm. in East Yorkshire, and. Um, yeah, in a not not an artistic family at all. I know that's not what you're asking, but you didn't want a one-word answer, I don't think, no, did you? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, when I was growing up, what did my mum and dad do? My mum my was a lab technician at a, a private school and then became delivered parcels for a catalogue and then became a mental health nurse. My dad was at sea. Um, what was he doing? He was in the Merchant Navy, so he was away a lot. And for when
0: you say it a lot, was he away for like large chunks no, of time and then back? No, or? he
1: stopped that. When my, I've got an older brother who's like eighteen months older thereabouts, and when when we were babies, it might have even been when Lee was a baby, but when we were babies, my dad stopped the deep sea when he was away for months and months on end, and then would come back for a few weeks. He was on taking, uh, I think he was taking jet fuel and oil around the world on the big super tankers, right. And, and he came back to more, more localised stuff, doing six weeks on, six weeks off and doing that, delivering new cars around Europe and Africa and stuff. Um, and then he had he had a heart attack, actually, one time. I did his last ever trip. Back then, you, could, you, could, you wouldn't get away with it now. I was talking about this last night when I was out running with someone. Me and my brother used to go away with him, like, in the summer holidays or the two-week holidays. We'd do a trip and, like, work with the crew and just for fun, just to go away with Dad on the ship. And sometimes we'd have family holidays on the ship. You know, if he was going to San Sebastian <laughs> or something, we'd just all, Mum would be sunbathing on the decks and we'd be just running around the decks playing football or painting with the crew or quite big ships. Yeah. Know? I mean, the idea now, I'd be health horrified. And sa- health yeah. and safety I mean, would have it, would they? No, I mean, we'd go down in the engine room on our own. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd be where are my kids, Where are my kids. Do you know what I mean? Of the fallen over. Because it was just little rails. Do you know what I mean? They weren't big barriers like you'd get on a ferry, there were just little rails, and uh, it was fucking great, I loved it.
0: But um, geez, I have heart palpitations if he runs onto the same, next dial for insanes, I'm shouting around same, like man. a madman, same,
1: same, totally. But um, I did my dad's last ever trip with him actually when I was about 13. I was, um, it was a summer holidays, and we were one day late coming back for school, that's when he sort of. His, his term finished, and he was like, I don't matter if you start back one day late. But on that trip home, he had a heart attack when he was, like, 39, 40 or something. God. I was about 13. So he was pensioned off. <clears throat> I think things were tricky for a time financially, but then he got a job working for a direct sales and publishing company, and, like, our life changed in many respects. It suddenly became, like, working class to middle class, I think. Not that we're into class, but, like, suddenly me and my the holidays that me and my brother had as kids um changed, you know, like and my younger sister started going off like on safaris with my mum and dad and she like that. And why can't we go? Yeah. You're too old now, you know what I mean, you're at home. Um, so their lives changed. So I've seen them do different things. Did it years. change? Did now it change both
0: retired. Did it change for you having your dad around more after yeah, that?
1: Yeah, I think it was a bit. It was an adjustment for everybody. Actually, I think maybe you didn't really notice so much at thirteen. I was like, I'm not sure I was an easy kid. Um, in, in what respects do you say that? Uh, I think I was the difficult one. Do you know what I mean? The, the When you say you think, you know, don't you? <laughs> you actually, you've done work on yeah, this and you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, I was the difficult one. I was the one that probably kept him up more at night, do you know what I mean, even as a kid and certainly into my teens. But, uh, yeah, I just, I was, I, I, I was difficult. I was like... Were you getting into trouble? I was getting into trouble, yeah, but I wasn't a bad lad, do you know what I mean? I felt lost...
0: More of a rascal. Yeah, I was yeah. A,
1: yeah. but I was an annoying rascal, do you know right. what I mean? And I moved schools and things like that, and I spent a lot of time on report. Or, Did you or, move schools because of kind trouble? Kind or... of, kind of. In my first term of, of uh, first year of high school, I was like, I need to get out of here. I'm going to go to that other high school that my friend goes to. And then that never happened. I had a lovely, lovely English teacher who was an ex-nun, who actually became good friends with my my grandma because they went to the same catholic church right. like this was later in life, yeah, you know, yeah. after i'd left that school but uh, she was lovely mrs priest i think strangely being strangely apt yeah uh, i hope i've got a name right She I was
0: uh, i hope you've got a name right yeah, It'd be terrible if it was yeah it or, would uh, be
1: or was it priestly or is that my friend emma i'm gonna go see this afternoon anyway um she was lovely she was lovely uh, um and she was like got me talking with with one of the six formers who'd felt the same I think I was quite creative. Like at that time I was just doing Bugsy Malone at the whole new theatre and play and and I don't know. I don't know. I just but but I remember getting this older Six former who'd done drama to talk to me and stuff and I don't know, I just felt oh I always felt lost. This I don't know what this to sound like. Um um indulgent or anything, but no. I just like I think I was just difficult. I was like and it was always everybody else's fault, you know what I mean? Nobody understood me. Yeah. Uh, so that's why if I move schools I'll be I'll be alright and get a fresh start. Exactly. But
0: you can keep yeah. on leapfrogging oh, and, oh, and tell moving me about that. and moving. I found it's... that in
1: later life I didn't want them. It was yeah. me and I had to take me with me wherever yeah. I went. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I found that out. I found that out in my twenties and, and you know, we're all right now. Me and me. Yeah, <laughs> it takes a, it takes yeah. a bit of time. But um, but I did end up moving schools when I was about thirteen, because my brother wanted to go to sea, so he went off to a naval college, which started in in the third year of. Your seniors. brother wanted to go to sea. Yeah, he did. Right. Yeah, yeah. He ended up couldn't go because he was colour blind, but he went off to this naval college, and he was a bit, you know. He was a bit of a rascal as well. And when he went to this naval college, suddenly things turn around and he becomes a school officer, which is like, I suppose, like a prefect. Yeah. You know, buttons and stripes on your your full navy suit. You know what I mean? Eight gold buttons. We wore all that and the hats and that's a parade in the morning. And so by the time I was in my third year, which is what, seven, eight, nine, year nine? Yeah. As it is now. They are like, why don't you go? Fresh start and all that. You know what I mean? And it's done your brother the world of good. And I went and it was just... Went from bad to worse. Did it? Yeah. Why? Because uh, I got in with the other rascals who'd gone for the wrong reasons, right. who'd gone for a fresh start, and not because they wanted to go to that school necessarily. And not that they were any bad lads necessarily, but like, and also because it was like, it was proper science. The one savior was the English teacher, actually. He was amazing. And, um, I'm on Facebook with him now still. Do you know what I mean? He's still in my life in in some capacity. And um, he used to come and see me in plays at youth theatre and I remember we were going on this ship on the Thames for a week and sailing from from Kent and, like, this training ship that you could go on a proper ship and we went up to Ipswich on it and, like, I knew I wasn't going to go on this school trip because he was getting to choose and, like, I knew I was... Nobody, nobody would want me there. You're way down the list. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not even on the list. <laughs> the headmaster said, don't fucking take him. Do you know what I mean? He's trouble. But he took me. Right. And he made a joke of it, you know, saying in every barrel you need a bad apple or something like that. But he was like... Nothing he, like
0: words of encouragement. No, but it was a big wink. <laughs> yeah, of course. Because I, I knew
1: he thought I was special and I thought he was amazing. Yeah. It was like, he was a... And, it's um, interesting, those
0: teachers. Yeah. Because they do pop oh, up. Oh, man. I've it,
1: talked to Paddy about this, yeah. actually. Um, you know, and, and other people, but I remember a conversation because, like, you know, when everybody else, you feel, and I'm not saying it was like this, but I felt like everybody else is like, you're, you're worthless. You're, you know, you're pain in the arse. You're always, I was always getting told off, and probably rightly so. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, I remember getting dragged into the headmaster's office because someone had have the motorbike. Um, damaged. Weirdly, a motorbike I ended up buying. <laughs> 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 that's totally coincidental. <laughs> but it was like, it was you, wasn't it? Like it wasn't me. Like it actually wasn't me. And I don't, even, you know. It was, so there was always that presumption. So you kind of, it's like chicken in the egg, that, it. That's a different list. You're yeah. On. Whenever yeah. something bad happens, there's, <laughs> yeah. always, there's a list yeah, of like yeah. three
0: or four people who it could be to yeah. so drag them in because yeah. it's bound to be yeah, one yeah, of them. Was,
1: yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't me. But I suppose. Um, I'm rambling here, but yeah, he no. took me, and he was like he was just like one of those guys who he'd lived as well, and maybe that was something to do with it. He, he'd not always been a teacher; he'd lived life. I'm not saying there aren't teachers who've kind of you know left school, college, university, and become teachers that are not like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I wonder if he'd lived, he'd lived a bit. He'd been a landlord of the pub in the red light district, and like he knew life, and he, yeah, and he, I don't know, I think he just saw. He had it. The like maybe the life experience just saw something that he's actually a really good kid and he's just a bit lost. Um, I mean, it it can be a cliche. He he, he got me through school Mm. in many respects and encouraged me and empowered me. And I felt like I was always seeking approval as a kid. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And and I felt like I got some from him. And it was like, but also it sounds like he was listening. Yeah, he was. He was mega. I took my kid mega. I took my kids to meet him. actually. Yeah. There, was a, there was an open day at the school when it was closing. There's a real old boys fraternity and they were doing a hog roast and, like, the, you could go look round the school before they bulldozed it um, in Hull City Centre. It's now called Zebedee's Yard and they have concerts there, like Flaming Lips and Happy Mondays and Primal Scream We've all played on this bit of yard in the city centre of Hull now. But that was our old school, you know, Um yeah, and I was like, I want you to meet this guy. Yeah, he, was, yeah. he was my uh, English teacher. Yeah, he was a good man. It's interesting. I mean, Steve, I know it. I know Steve it, McGuigan, if you listen st- to Shout Steve. out,
0: Steve McGuigan. Yeah. I mean, it can be a cliche when people say, yeah, but it was, it's just one teacher and they just change everything. But it's kind of true because it happened for me as well with mm. my deputy headmaster of my um, secondary school. And I'm still in touch with him now. Yeah, you know, he's, nice. he's down the road in wow. Preston. Um shout out Richard Catmore while we're doing shout-outs. <laughs> yeah, Here we go.
1: big up Richard. Now, should we do
0: I um, <clears> think <throat> this is kind of an interesting way of getting into the conversation by asking these questions and then we can I don't know, it's just a different format. It seems to be working. Cool. Give me another number. Um Four. eight. Eight. What do you consider the most overrated virtue? I don't know. I don't know. Um I mean, feel free to pick another number if you don't like um, the question, but I've kind of quite liked to answer it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't know, really. The most overrated one. Um, I don't know, maybe we'll come back to that.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned before about that you were doing Bugs in Malone at the time. Was this sort of extracurricular drama? No,
1: no. straight. It's how I got into acting, weirdly acting was not on the agenda. I was doing a lot of sport, you know what I mean? Like extra, extra curricular for my, me and my brother. Uh, my brother and I was was predominantly sport. We played rugby league. He played for, we did like Sunday league school. My brother played for city, the city. I played for county level, played football for school. And, mm. Um, oh, We tried all sorts as kids. My mum and dad were great and they'd always like let us try stuff and, Karate, but we both got disqualified from our first tournament because <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. We punched people and things like that. Not that we were thugs, but you know, when someone's trying to kick you and things like that, <laughs> if it's coming at you, quick! <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can't hit someone in the face, so that didn't last very long. Um, um, we tried all sorts, but I was a massive fan of the film Bugsy Malone. You know the the um, Alan Parker film. Paul Williams music, Paul Williams, the music. Um, I think so, yeah. And it was just like, it captured my imagination as a kid, as it probably does many, many kids of many generations. We had it on an old VHS and I used to watch it all the time. My memory, and I'm not sure, you know, kind of not sure the memory's always correct, but I used to, seemed like I watched it every morning before school or some of it, and on a night. And, and then when I was in my final year of, of primary school, and um, the old fourth year of juniors, which would now be year six, would it? Yeah. They were going to do it in the drama club. I didn't even know there was a drama club, do you know what I mean? But they were going to do it. And I got the part of Bugsy, and it was like, wow, this is great. And um it was good fun. And then the following year in the newspaper, there was this article of for open auditions to um the, this theatre company in Hull, which is like, they had an adult company, but they also had youth theatre and all the classes, you know what I mean? A full timetable every night of the week and all days on weekends of all the different performing arts, music, dance, musical theatre, solo drama, acting, group acting classes, a bit of everything. They were going to put on this production at the big and arch in Hull, um, the whole new theatre as it was, which is like a thousand, twelve hundred seats or something like that anyway. And people were like, you should go for that. And it was just like alien to me, like. And uh, fear has played a big part in my life as well, like always did as a kid, and always did into even into adulthood. Like, so the idea of pushing out my comfort zone was not easy, because I'll fall flat on my face. You know what I mean? I didn't have the insight then.
0: Well, or you, you certainly know, think like, you'll fall flat. On yeah, your face. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which is the fear?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you know, what will people think? And I didn't have the insight then. It was just like just. <laughs> Fear. It could, probably didn't even know it was fear. Just this feeling of dread and no, 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 no. But a lot of people encouraged me. You know, um school friends, parents, uh, my parents, school teachers. So I, I went for it. And the music teacher at primary school helped me with a song, and I had to go do like a monologue or whatever, and and uh, a song. And then I got a recall, and they offered me the part of Bugsy Me, and another lad we shared the role, and. Uh, and that was it really. Was that the question? Uh, I got the part, I joined that youth theatre as well and that that was kind of opened doors to me really. And then the, the sport started taking a back seat when I'm turning up for smike rehearsals with stitches in my leg because I've been playing rugby that morning and I, I can't do any of the movement yeah. for the rehearsals because I've kind of got my leg straight with bandages on it because I've split my knee up and and playing rugby and and before I knew it, like the sport was less and less, mainly just at school, less Sunday league and weekends. And suddenly found myself at sixteen making my choices. What was I going to do when I was left school? And desperately seeking my dad's approval, I was filling out forms to go to sea for an apprenticeship, going up to South Shields to to the naval uh, merchant navy college to do my certificates to be a navigation officer. God. And, with P&O containers and things like that and vague recollections of having emotional conversations with my mother in the kitchen where she's like, but what do you want to do? You know, not what your, your dad wants you to do. And I think she tells a story, I don't really remember it. And I was also took up being a, a lawyer as well. I would never have been a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, like, I had no application <laughs> at school. There was no way I'd have got to <laughs> university in law school. But it was like... Yeah my mum was encouraging me That was my dad but um and I said I want to be an actor I'll stop fucking about i think my mum said and do what you need to do so i decided i would go to sixth form college
0: in Hull. In Hull, yeah. yeah, Media Studies, Theatre Studies and Arts. What was that course like? Was it renowned? Did you have any, uh, anybody it, that had it been was it? was good,
1: yeah, yeah. Loads of people, including your friend Julie Campbell. Julie Campbell, past <laughs> yeah. past guest past of this shot. podcast. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And loads of people who'd been through the same youth theatre and had gone on and were having successful careers in London as actors. Do you know what I mean? And, and the guy who ran the youth theatre and the theatre company in Hull was also Head of Drama at the Sixth Form College. Um, but again, I was like, I was interested in girls and partying. You know what I mean? I've just had no real application.
0: Well, what age were you at this point? Sixteen. Well, there you go.
1: You know, and I don't think I'd written an essay. And I was—I'm <laughs> not proud of this at all. But you know, I do love this podcast because people open up and are honest. And but I kind of ended up seeing the school counselor. Do you know what I mean? Because. I was getting pressure to hand in assignments of which I'd never, I had no intention of really, the idea of sitting down to write an assignment, I was like, so I was like, oh, I've got loads of problems and then, do you need to see the counsellor? Yeah, okay, I'm thinking well, if it's going to buy me a bit more time, yeah, let's do it. And um, and then around November, December, I'd only started in September, Right. I'd already dropped art, because I thought, oh, it's in for me. They want me to, like, really care about it. And I was good at drawing and painting and things like that. And I enjoyed mm-hmm. art at high school. i got a decent mark in my GCSE, but I could see these people were, like, proper into it. Do you know what I mean? I was like, nah, it's in for me. Also, again, you had to hand pieces of work in, you know. Well, so it kind of I- comes <laughs> with the territory, Paul. <laughs> yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. So I, I was like, all right, I'll just do the theatre studies and media studies, you know what I mean? And um, and then the head of drama put it to us that, that there was someone from the BBC who wanted to audition some kids for a film. So he got loads of us together. There was a mixture between people who went to the youth theatre, people who were on the sixth form college course, many of which did both, but there were some who, only, who didn't go to the college and there were some who... Went to the college, but not the youth theatre. And he got us all in this huge room in the ballet studio, at the at the uh, at the youth theatre place. Yeah. In hall, um, one night or day, can't remember. Probably a Saturday. And this director who was going to direct this film for the BBC came up, and she'd done like the agencies in London looking for kids. Weirdly, I know a lot of people who went up for it. Peers who were a little bit older than me. And- um, who had agents or, and then she'd done the drama schools in London looking for a, a kind of a, boi, a boy and some girls from the north and hadn't found anyone. So she thought she'd better head up the motorway and she started doing youth groups. I, I'm sure she probably did the Nottingham and Oldham and along the M62. And she found this one and she came, and this poor woman sat through God knows how many monologues. Oh, you had to prepare. Yeah, oh. I think I'm pretty sure we did. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Could be wrong. And then she just workshopped us, and then a few of us started getting audition uh, recalls to Bradford, to this hotel in Bradford City Centre. I want to say the Palace, but that's Manchester where I've stayed many times. But I think it was the Queen's maybe. Right. I don't know. It's like near, the, near the interchange, Bradford interchange. Anyway, that's by the by. I do ramble a lot. So this is good. This free, po- to, free, free to edit or put is, it out in two parts. This is what the podcast <laughs> is all about,
0: Pop. Don't worry.
1: Um, yeah, anyway, so we, we went a, a couple of times and there was a few of us and I ended up landing the lead in this film about this boy. It was based on a true story about a boy who was probably autistic, though not diagnosed in any way, shape or form. And um, he, he took his own life in prison when he was... Uh, I think he was 17 or he was maybe three weeks past 18. I can't remember whether it was three weeks before his 18th birthday or, three, or several weeks after, but he was he was a young boy who was on remand who should never have been in prison. He wasn't a criminal. His home life was tricky... He left home at 16, totally inadequate. His neighbour helped him get, like, a bed sit. Right. Bullies got involved in his life. There's some bullies in the film, and they sort of represent many groups of kids and bullies. They, his flat got burnt down, people used him as parties, and he got into petty crime with the bullies, like maybe a burglary or nicking lead off a roof. Certainly that's in the film. And nick nicked a kettle. He nicked a kettle from a builder's Porter cabin, do you know what I mean? Cause yeah. Because he, he wanted a hot drink, and it's, I'm, I'm welling up. Like, oh, Like I, mean I can it. feel it, like now, because um, Simon Willerton. I still think of him a lot, a lot. And um, and um, he took his life. He, he went to prison for crimes that netted him no more than a tenner in, in, in on remand in Armley, and killed himself. The letters in the film that he writes to his family are the, are the letters. Oh. Um strangely they gave the letters. They were suing the home office at the time. Again, which was strange because I'm not sure how involved they were in his life, and I'm sure they're still alive, some of his family and brothers and sisters, and maybe his parents, so I, I don't want to be disrespectful at all. It must have been awful, but um but anyway, yeah, I got that role and and um and um that got me an agent. Uh, did you ask this question? Yeah, I just no, 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 don't. Don't uh, that. That that. Uh, there was a br- wonderful lady, um, Corinne Campbell Hill, directed it and, and she'd found the story on the radio, I think. And Vincent O'Connell, who I'm still in touch with, um, who I did one of his films a few years ago called ID2, he'd written ID1. The first footballer film. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. god, what a lot
0: of terrifying film. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, he he made and wrote the second, and I I did that with him. So I've worked with him two years, like almost twenty years apart. But he wrote it, and um, Vincent, and Hilary Salmon produced it. Who's now a big exec at the baby who I've worked for since. Like you know, um, on. on and Dramas such as Inside Men and things like that. I know. I know we're not here to talk about work, but like people who you still see around. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. Strange, and uh, and even when I worked with Hillary all those years later um, on Inside Men, she was on set, and I don't know, execs. You don't often, always see them. I know you do, but like, but I maybe because we'd known each other since I was sixteen, I was a boy. Yeah, and she, she had a, she'd been breastfeeding, like. And her boy is now like 20 odds. Wow. Know what I mean? And weirdly, she lived on the same road as my friend Sam in Crouch End when you guys were all at Mountview. God. And so I used to stay with Sam in Crouch End yeah. just around the corner from Banners. You yeah. know what I mean? So, like the world. So I knew her. Do you know? And we would talk about Simon when we were filming this, this drama a few years ago. You know? Isn't it interesting uh, about yeah. the
0: connections that you make, and then sometimes it takes that amount of time to come full circle and come back together. But you're interesting. I know we don't talk about work loads on this, certainly not when I'm talking to actors, because for for all sorts of reasons, but you know the reasons, I don't have to reiterate it. But when I think about you and I look at your work all over the years, we're always... I I always find myself... I feel very lucky when I work with a, a writer or a director... Who I respect, and we just click, and it just works, and it's it becomes something else. Well, regardless of whoever sees it, it becomes something personal. Um, and I think you have forged certainly two very close relationships with people that you've worked with time and time again. One being Michael Winterbottom, the other being Paddy. Yeah, and it's just it's funny you've just gone on and you seem to come back and collaborate a time and time again with with you know,
1: these fantastic um, creatives. Yeah, it's strange, really. I mean, I, feel, I don't know, something weird just happened to me there. I feel a bit lightheaded and out-of-body experience because I love those two men, like, deeply. Yeah. M- Michael and um, and Andrew Eaton, Michael's longtime yeah. business partner. They're not business partners anymore, but they're still dear friends and weirdly, not weirdly at all, actually, because he's a good friend, but strangely, having not seen my uh, Andrew for a number of years, I had dinner with him in Cardiff a few weeks ago. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. and I'm having dinner with him on Tuesday in Cardiff again as I'm down there again next week. But um, um, uh, for those listeners who don't know, Andrew is, is a film producer and produced Michael's. Work and they were on a business uh, film company together for years. I don't know. Do I need to explain that? Yeah, I think they <laughs> can always it look it up. But it yeah, does yeah do matter, it does uh, matter. So his backstory is uh, good. Andrew anyway,
0: but, uh, yeah. produced nearly all of Michael's films up to only a few years yeah, ago, I would imagine. Yeah, a few imagine. years ago, yeah. yeah.
1: And they, they, you know, they're great friends, but sort of Andrew's doing other stuff now. Um, and, and Michael's still doing his, his own stuff. Anyway, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't know how it happened. I met Andrew and Michael In a room in like in London in nineteen ninety six seven. For a film that never got made,
0: so you'd have been about
1: seventeen, maybe eighteen. Yeah, I'm forty four, so yeah, I'm forty five. I did Criminal in like (laughs) 94. right? When I was sixteen, I was seventeen just after it finished. Probably seventeen when it went on telly. Got my agent when I was 17 through. Elaine Donnelly, I was going to, just to take a back segue a second, yeah. there was a, I was going to say earlier, and I think I started saying, there was a lovely lady as well as the director and the writer of the film and Hilary Salmon, the producer. There was a lovely lady, an actress called Elaine Donnelly, who was the younger kid chaperone on Criminal and, like, an acting coach. She helped us. She worked with us. and yeah. She helped me get an agent. She was um, with, with, and she took me under her wing when the film finished. She took me to her house in Nottingham which is weird because I've just been listening to you and Sam Morton talking about Nottingham yeah. on your podcast. And uh, she was married to Elaine Dosser, uh, Alan Dosser, the, the, the TV director, and they were making Between the Lines back then. And she took me on set. Because, like, I didn't know anybody from the acting world at all. And suddenly I'd been the centre of this film, and it had been my life. Yeah. I'd been 16, living in a hotel and long days on set every day. And, and then everybody just goes, don't they? Yeah. They like literally. That's a wrap, and they're gone.
0: Yeah. Well, it's so interesting you say that (laughs) because I was about to say you never have that aftercare. It's like that. You saying that and they're gone just reminds me of when I sat down with Tony Pitts.
1: Yeah.
0: And the and I think he says something like and the circus left the town. Yeah. And I wanted to go with them, but they were going.
1: They're gone. So, but Elaine was lovely. And she helped me with spotlight contacts. That's very wrote. rare that that so, happens yeah, to, to, to younger
0: actors at that point when like, they don't know anything. No,
1: she 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 got me in a scene on between the lines. There's an extra. She, oh, but just brilliant. like there was a fight. You know what I mean? And I think um, uh, Neil, is it Neil Pearson? Yes. Yeah, he was in this scene and who I later worked with on ID Two. strangely. Oh, like you know, brilliant we we're talking actor. about you know, like, yeah. twenty odd years later. And I told him about this. He would never remember, but like I would met him when I was about seventeen. and... And there was this fight in this scene and they were like, do you want to get in it? You know, like, and it was just like, it was not to give me an acting job, but it was just to have a nice day and be a part of. And, and then I had dinner with all these cinematographers at their house and totally fell out of my debt because I was an inadequate 17 year old with no conversation skills particularly. But also but, you didn't have any knowledge. Felt, what could you add to the no, conversation? a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, she helped me get an agent. So anyway, but, but um, that's what I was going to say earlier. and um, got me, you know, into the industry, if you like, because without that agent, I'd, I'd have just gone back to college, I suppose. Um Or, don't know, ended up working something else. But... Um, and it's
0: like what you said about uh, a teacher that listens. Yeah. You just need one person to go, actually, I'll just come here, give me a handle and let's yeah. go through this door and have yeah. a look at this and see yeah. if this is for you. And it turns yeah. out it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she was great. I've never really seen her since. We just very quickly drifted, but uh, she was lovely. Another person, a bit like Steve, the teacher, who, you know, will forever remain a, a very fond and uh, place in my heart.
0: But that's kind of what I was saying before about your... You come back and your collaborations with Mike and your collaborations with Paddy. You yeah, come back sorry. and you don't... We don't have that. These brilliant people come into our lives and they are, we have a very sort of... Close, intimate relationship. Hopefully, sometimes you know, an inspiring relationship, and it changes. And then they've gone. Yeah, but they are only in your life for that amount yeah. of time, Elaine and they and might not yeah. come back. Yeah. Which is why what I was saying before about when I think about you and your your career, you. So, I think you're so lucky that you come back and you collaborate and be, yeah, carry on and, building I, I, these and, relationships. I never really
1: talked about that because I wanted to just mention Alain. But yeah, yeah, I, I met Michael and Andrew in a room in London somewhere. When I was about seventeen eighteen yeah. nineteen i I don't know it's still young, very early into having an age I think they'd seen criminal you know it was it was in the days of screen 2, so it was like they were big popular dramas you know they were the they were the single dramas
0: just for people who who are slightly younger and they won't know what a sort of a screen two was. Should we just sort of explain yeah, what the they B, were?
1: The B, yeah, for sure. The BBC used to regularly, and less so now, I guess. Yeah, make um, one-off single dramas for the for BBC One and BBC Two, and they were either a screen one or a screen two. And like, you know, you look back at the back catalogue, and there were some phenomenal dramas with some phenomenal writers, <laughs> directors, and actors, yeah. and, and crew, and everything. Ob- yeah. Obviously, but many went on to like do, you know, be be our great kind of. The older generation of, like, you know, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but <laughs> I like, suppose they were the they, great your Julie Walters <laughs> and your kind of Pete Postlethwaite and all these kind of, you know, phenomenal. They, uh,
0: they were almost like a modern version, or an updated version of play for today. Yeah, which, which yeah. happened. What well, they were almost like a training ground. They were like a. They were like what the old version of like rep theatre would be. But on television they gave people yeah they were on all small, the time, smaller we? budgets and I that
1: I feel that they gave them freedom I mean our budget I think was about a million quid I shot a feature film a few years ago for three like literally a few years ago when obviously things are a lot more expensive now for like three hundred and thirty and I features which I think three f- three films share a million quid yeah you know so a million quid one that shabby back no, in 1994. No, no, you know? no that's good. But I remember George Faber coming down. Who was the exec who went on to own company pictures, yeah, didn't he? And yeah. did many amazing things. Yeah, of course. And then they were talking about needing more money. I think, and like you know, um, uh, you were sort of in the buyer of having hearing conversations and the politics and stuff. It was quite interesting. But, but I
0: feel then they would have given them a bit more. I would have hoped they'd give them more sort of creative freedom. Probably to to roll the dice and cast somebody who doesn't have the experience that, you know, someone who the BBC might want over there and give them a bit of a platform maybe, and give yeah. them a bit of a training ground. That's what I would. Maybe that's my sort of romantic notion of maybe. what sort of that know. screen one, screen like, two I play for today I, vibe. I was I saying know. the other day that wouldn't it be great <clears throat> to bring those types of things?
1: It back? was amazing, but I mean, like you know, they were on a lot. Yeah. Um, and we we get less of that now, don't we? Single dramas. We get three, four parts, six parts series. Scenes, yeah. Things that run and run. Yeah. But um, yeah, they were great. Anyway, so Michael and and Andrew, I think, had seen that, got me in for one of the leads in this feature film that never got made. Actually, um, I I don't know why. Whether it was a funding thing or I think it was about Joyriders and things like that. And I right. think. Was there a TV, Was there a cinema or a TV film called Shopping and and something I can No, it was just
0: uh, called Shopping. Sure, just shopping. Just shopping. That's and right. it was Jude Law, Sadie Frost, and it right. was it was the Natural Nylon That's right. bunch. And yeah, for people yeah. That's who don't remember, absolutely correct. Natural Nylon was, I think, I'm right in saying, a production company, uh, f- uh, founded by
1: Reefis and Refus and you Jude,
0: Sadie Frost, Ewan McGregor, Sean Pertwee, I think. think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So yeah, yeah, so that was maybe they sort of. Got that idea first about I, the joyride. I don't know.
1: I'm not saying that that's why Andrew and Michael didn't make theirs, but I remember that coming out not long after and thinking, gosh, that's very similar to that script that I read. I'm sure there probably are well, u- reasons. But it's
0: usually the way, innit? Do you remember when yeah. uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves came out and then Patrick Bergen's Robin Hood came out kind of at the same no, time? Not, not. You don't remember that? No, but I
1: mean, that happened recently, didn't it, with the two Capote films, Truman Capote? Films. Yeah, well, it, it and always keeps going, actually.
0: But, you know, around sort of gladiator time, there was a, a, a whole host of sort of those types of films that were coming out and Troy and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it just, yeah. it, always, it always crops yeah, up, doesn't it, in the film yeah, industry. Yeah.
1: But um, anyway, I met them and it didn't come to anything. And then years later, maybe not years later, I, don't, I can't remember the timelines, but about 96, 97, I got an offer to be in, it was a straight offer, I think, and it was only a tiny part. It was one scene, to be in Michael Winterbottom's "I Want You" with Alexandra Navola. And was it Rachel Vice? Yeah. So I did a little little bit in that. Um, so they'd obviously remembered me and, and got me back in that. Um, and then a few years later, again, twenty-four apart, people comes around, and I was I was about to fly to Egypt. Actually, to do what? Just Backpack. Right. 2000, it was. Just to take yourself off? Yeah, yeah, take myself off um, with a with with mate I'd met at the RSC who, who lived, we kept in touch and we were both living in London. It, I was I was just waiting to finish a film I was doing in London and then it was like, let's go to Egypt and we booked this trip through student travel, STA on Shafts for Ev, you there remember? There you go, it? I do, yeah. yeah. And uh, we went off and I, I met Michael in like, this, I'd come up to Yorkshire to get me rucksack and some stuff and I was going back to London but came via Manchester to meet him in the production office, which ended up being the film's production office, so it must have been in pre-production, I guess. Yeah. Um, whole area of Manchester now no longer exists, you know what I mean? It's changed so much since then. Whereabouts was it? Do you remember? I, I can't remember, really. Oh, it's like piecing it together. I might have been anchored. It was just on the outside. I can't. You wouldn't even recognize it. It was right on some water somewhere. Right. It's changed so much yeah. I mean, when I was last year here- working, rehearsing at The Exchange, like, 2017, and it's changed so much since then. I'm driving around going, man, oh, this is all new again.
0: Well, I was messaging you the other week when you were talking... I think you were talking about... Were you doing some sort of photo shoot, like, on the roof
1: of...? That was 20... Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that was 20... That was that was 24-hour party people. Yeah, It will have been on a roof of a roof of a building that no longer exists right round here. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I met Michael for that, and then... They offered me a part in it. And that's when our friendship began. Like, um, before that, they were just people who'd see my work and who I'd met, you know, and, and who had, a, had me in on their film. Like, even when I did I Want You, I never. No, because you're just you popping don't speak in. To anyone, yeah. do you really. You check into your hotel, you turn up for set, you, you do your bit, and the director's polite. I'm not even sure whether I met Andrew on set then. But, but Andrew and Michael are brilliant people. And their third AD, Mike Elliott, I think he was the third on I Want You, became Michael's first on Twenty Four Hour 24 Hour Party People. And then now Mike owns his own production company, you know, um, called Emu Films, which has a base in London and a base in Manchester. And I've done one of Mike's films as a producer called right. The Goob, which Andrew Eaton um um, no, he wasn't involved in that, but Andrew in, ended up executing another of, of Mike Elliott's films called Jawbone, written by Johnny, Johnny Harris. Harris. So, like, their relationship It's not just me who's had long, long relationships. They've had long relationships with a lot of people. Yeah. I was talking about this with Andrew when we had dinner the other week, just saying how much I love him and how much he is loved. Like, everybody on that film... Loves him. You know, you're Martin Moskrops, who was our music coordinator on that film from the band ACR, Factory Records Band. I'd put a picture on Facebook or something of me and Andrew or something, and everybody who knew him from 20 years ago was going, God, I love that man, God, I, you know. Yeah. Uh, they just, they nurture people. Yeah. You know, they still work with people, you know. Anita Overland, who's a producer. God, yeah. I work with Michael and Andrew a lot. I think now works with Mike Elliott producing stuff. I think I could be wrong there, but I think they Produced some Steve McQueen drama over lockdown, did they? That was on. I, forgive I me know. if I'm getting all my facts wrong, but yeah. I guess all I'm trying to say is that they're just great people who, who who are loyal and want to get people back in. And I'm not the only one who's like Michael worked with a lot. You know, you've got your Kieran O'Brien, your Shirley Henderson, your John Sim. No, of course. You know, a lot of people that they are part of his repertoire. And he's never offered me big stuff again. But it's always like, oh, I've got this. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? He did a film called On the Road, um, which was kind of following the band Wolf, Ali- Wolf Alice around. Yeah. And it was just really... He was only having two actors in it, two young actors who meet, um, and he was going to immerse them in the in the crew. So the crew didn't know they were actors. They just kind of, you know, they were going to shoot this thing with no scripts and follow the band. And, um, and he asked me to come on board and... Um, I don't really know why, actually. And I I did wonder whether it's... I was only on it a few days because I only had, like, a four-day window because I was due to start Journeyman. Um, And I went on it, and I think... I wonder. Maybe I should ask him. (laughs) (laughs) Because... I didn't make much of the final cut because it wasn't really about me. It was literally about these two characters who meet and have a love story, you know what I mean? But I partly wonder if it was just because I'm so used to the way he works, if I could just help them just kind of doing some improv. and Not that they're not capable of that, but they were well capable. Just kind of somebody who gets it and just like naturally be around it it was to sort of play the road manager and partly because the guy who was going to come and help road manage it wasn't available for a while but I think he was more practically road managing as opposed to acting anyway I'm rambling but yeah um I think that was the last time I worked with him 2016 but I, I, I did text him the other week actually and Melissa his partner so, you know they're still in touch with these people and they're just, just good friends yeah.
0: but it's It's incredible that uh, when friendships are founded like that at work and the loyalty that comes on and you talk about, like, those are two people in a great position where they can nurture new talent. And they certainly did that. You know, I look back now at, you know, Ralph and, like, John, and everybody looks so young in yeah. 24-Hour Party. Yeah. people. But What I,
1: a cast. I mean, that's I what mean, I'm like, saying. It's just, like, phenomenal. Can you
0: imagine nowadays getting all those people together in one film? It you wouldn't mean, happen. The, the
1: cameos, you know, of, like, Simon Pegg and, and Rob Bryden and John Thompson and Chris Eccleston. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was just... And they're pulling in them favours from people like Chris, you know, because because of the loyalty and the love for him and do you, you know, think that's nice.
0: do you think that's where a lot of friendships were forged on that set
1: I think so yeah i mean i'm still in touch with loads of people on on that to a greater or lesser degree i spoke with Kieran O'Brien the other week i haven't seen Kieran for 10 20 years yeah. you know what i mean you know that i bumped into someone up a mountain the other week who <laughs> yeah. i hadn't seen for 19 years yeah. on that film yeah yeah i didn't
0: and the funny thing is I was round that person's house two weeks prior to that for dinner and I didn't even know he was in it. Yeah. So
1: yeah,
0: yeah. it's it's so interesting because you look back and I haven't seen that film for a long time. But, I can't watch it really. But I remember being quite blown away because of the age that I was, it was just, I was just missing all that. But it, it was s- such... Such chaos on screen, controlled chaos, in, obviously, in the edit. Was it like that film? Did it feel like
1: yeah, the I, train has left the station? <clears> yeah, yeah, I mean, it was wild. I don't know whether it was ever supposed to be wild, but it was wild. And the party went on for about two years. You know, I remember being out in London with Chris Coggle, who'd played Bez. Yeah. and. Kieran O'Brien, who, play, who had played Nathan McGoff, the Mondays, Happy Mondays manager, we all became friends and we'd been running around Soho and Kieran's flat up in Marleybone Way for days. And coming, finally coming back to my flat in Camberwell to voice messages, you know, on your landline. Yeah. Mobile, mobile batteries well and truly <laughs> been dead for days. But like, I had this big old fax machine with a with a with an answer phone, and it was like I think it was Andrew Eaton and Gina Carter who was the produ- the co-producer on it as well. Going, where are you? We're trying to get hold of you. We're in Cannes. Do you do you, do you all want to come? Can you get hold of everybody? Like ringers, us, ringers, us, ringers. Us. This was two thousand and one, so it's only the month after we'd finished filming. We filmed, I think, February two thousand and one to April two thousand and one, so maybe about eight weeks thereabouts. I can't remember exactly. But Cannes in May, isn't it? It's Cannes yeah, Festival in May. Yeah, it's early, yeah. So yeah. 2001, they're like, come out. And they're like, you know, we'll, we'll be paying. So it won't be like, you know, no film company's paying for it. We'll be paying. So it won't be uber extravagant, but we'll, you know, we'll get your cars and hotels and sort you out and everything. And, you know, um, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, fucking hell, we'll come jump in the shower. You know what I mean? Like, right, we're going we're gonna to bike you around a camera, a film camera. The Sony PD one, whatever they were, oh oh, I don't know, I might be making up that, the name, but it was what the, the film was shot on. We shot on quite a lot of these handheld cameras. We, I say we, not, not not me. Yeah. Was it Robbie Muller was that was the, was, the, was the operator of the DOP? And, and Marcel, who's gone on to be, I think Marcel, who's gone on to be a brilliant DOP in his own right. Um, and they shot hundreds of hours. I mean, hundreds of hours. God knows how we ever edited that to like ninety minutes or two hours away, whatever yeah, yeah. And they banked me around this this camera in a plastic carry case with a load of money. And it was like, we'll sort you of some flights, come out. And I don't know if we came out that day or the next day or. But it was like imminent. It was like, yeah, it might have even been that day. I can't remember. And the other lads who lived in Manchester came from Manchester, actually maybe Chris Coggle hadn't been running around town with us for a few days because I think he flew in from Manchester. It doesn't really matter. But the point is we, we went out there and then we went out the following year. and So it kind of went on for a while, do you know what I mean? And it was just chaos. It's, we ended up pulling a publicity stunt that first year. Throwing, throwing dead pigeons around.
0: Because <laughs> of, so, of that scene? Yes, yeah, so yeah. there's a
1: scene in the film where... Paul Ryder and Sean Ryder poisoned pigeons, which may or may not have happened, you know, the myth or the legend. I mean... (laughs) You know, um, and that's the point of that film. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But what's what's better, (laughs) the myth or the legend, the the fun story or or the truth? So we threw these pigeons around, and I think our publicists kind of got blasted listed for a few days because, like was shed and <laughs> pigeons landed in the Coin Brothers' dinner and they <laughs> thought it was fucking amazing, you know? It was like... It was... Yeah, it was great fun, it was good times and we were, we were young, you know, and we, yeah. were, we were having it. I'd, I'd never been a can before, you know? It was the first time
0: I'd seen Coggle with
1: his haircut. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was it was good times.
0: Was and is fun. that where you first met Paddy?
1: I met Paddy on, on that film, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um And again... It was very hazy, you know what I mean. We were all staying in the Palace Hotel in Manchester, and you know we'd film. Did they put all of you in the palace? I think so. Yeah, <gasps>
0: I yeah. Mean, just like the fuse, I think it, isn't Steve
1: it? might have had an apartment around the corner. Maybe some of the others. Yeah. Ralph was in and out the palace and in and out the Malmaison, but I think he was putting in, like taking the money and putting himself in the Malmaison. I think, but really, we were all there.
0: Oh, exactly. Slightly dangerous, putting yeah. everybody yeah. there. I mean,
1: it was wild. It was every night of the week. Yeah. You know, and it was...
0: Well, I've worked with so many people over the years that have had a, a, a smaller or larger, you know, part in that film and the stories that you get back.
1: Yeah. God, I remember Sam Riley. I don't want to tell other people's stories, but he had a little part in it. Yeah, e. Smith, and obviously Sam's a big star now. and you know, going back to all those people that were in it, but, I mean, I remember seeing Sam in there in, you know, early hours of one morning and, I mean, it was crazy. I think that was the night I broke dance and forgot to put my hands out and, you know, did the swan dive and forgot to put my hands out, I think. And just smashed. I just put, yeah, I just put my teeth from my face. <laughs> <laughs> During shooting? I think so, yeah. I woke up the next morning, my pillow was covered in blood Danny Cunningham who played Sean, I think oh. he woke up in my room or he knocked on the door. We'd often wake up in the same rooms even though we all had nice rooms. Yeah. And I'm like, there's just blood everywhere. And I'm like, what the fuck happened last night? Oh, we were breakdancing and you, you didn't use your hands. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, it, I don't mean to glorify it, but it was, it was good fun and we were young and it was, it was, yeah. But that's where I met Paddy and Paddy and I liked each other. I liked him a lot. Although I don't remember having that many amazing conversations with him because it was always so messy. Yeah. Um, but I liked him. I liked his energy. I liked him as a person. Um, I remember we only had one scene together. And I remember distinctly saying, God, I'm so glad we get to work together, like actually get to work together. The scene got cut actually because he he was chasing us around Main Road but we were all in, like, 70s, 80s clothing and everybody else was in, like, 2001 shirts, so it was just not usable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The police nearly stopped us that day for inciting a riot, actually. Did you not get permission to film? Was I, well, a I don't gorilla? know. It, no, but, like, me and Danny were wearing Man United scarves and stuff, me and the... the as characters, Paul yeah. and Sean Ryder. And Rob Gretton, who, who was Paddy's character, was a, was a City fan. Um, was a Man City fan, so the scene was he was chasing us around Maid Road, and we were, you know, yelling and shouting and hurling abuse at Man City fans. Well, of course, the general public just didn't really know (laughs) that that it was a film, yeah. And you know, um,
0: of all the places to do it, yeah, on match day, it was on a
1: match day. Oh, really, yeah, that is insane. I know, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think we got shut down, I don't know, maybe my memory's really hazy about it all. But anyway, the scene didn't make the, the final cut because of that. It just didn't match. We were in 70s flares and, you know, old scarves and everybody else is in, like, more modern clothing, I think, is, is probably why I didn't make it. But anyway, I'm, I'm, again, I, I sort of ramble on a bit. But, um, yeah, we just became I, – I liked him. And then I used to see him around at, like, awards dues and yeah. we were sat on the same table at the Empire Awards one year and me and Paddy were both getting autographs. <laughs> <laughs> i remember we were getting autographs you know what i mean from other tables from, from other tables <laughs> yeah yeah and i was getting them i don't know who he was getting them for but i was getting them for me, me like i think family friends kids you know what i mean because i knew dominic monaghan and i'd come to get know orlando bloom through dominic so i knew some of the lord of the rings lads and we used to party with them and stuff and so I'm kind of going around Gandalf, <laughs> you know what I mean? And Ewan McGregor, obviously he was the one in that film, but he was, there. and like, I lost those autographs. I remember leaving him at our publicist's house. We ended up back at her flat until early hours and I left it all there and never got it back because um, I was going to give them to my, my cousin's kids. But anyway, that's by the by. But I used to see Paddy around a lot and then again, like so many other people in life, let alone this industry, you sort of drift, don't you? Yeah, we lost contact not through anything other than you just lives took a different tack. And then I saw him backstage at Leeds Festival in about 2016. No, sorry. About 2006. Um, in sort of the guest area. And it was like it was a bit like me and Dan on the mountain last week. Yeah. And it was the okay. same thing where you lock eyes across a, a crowded field and it's like, no, oh, Paddy, Paddy, Paul, wow, big embrace. Like we'd only seen each other yesterday, nattering away, catching up, and he told me about the short film he'd written. <clears throat> and Which um, was Dog Altogether. Which was Dog Altogether, um, and asked me if I wanted to be in it, and and I was in it, and... And uh, and then kind of that just rekindled, you know, it kind of reconnected us, and and yeah, that was like 2006. So what what is that now? Do the maths. Um, well, what we
0: 2022, so, aren't we? Yeah, so sort of
1: 17 years, so sort of 15 years. God. Now um, I was talking
0: about short films the other day, and I gave Dog Together as yes, as an example of a of a fantastic short, but also, and I don't know if this was the case but it always seemed to me that it was here's the trailer is the opening of what i want to do as a feature it's never like that wasn't, wasn't it opposite no no wow. paddy
1: would probably be better served telling the story actually so um if i get it wrong sorry paddy no it was always a short <clears throat> it was always meant to be a short i know a lot of people think i've got an idea for a feature yeah. let, me, let me see if i can make a short version and
0: but it always seemed it's like it interest. was the opening. It was the the opening of introducing all these
1: characters. Well it is, I mean, literally, and you probably know this, but it is literally the opening. Yeah, it is. So the first fifteen minutes or sixteen, seventeen minutes, however long Dog All Together is as a short film, is literally the opening minutes of Tyrannosaur, the film. They reshot it, but it's it's the same It's script. pretty much, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, and the scenes are pretty much the same. Yeah. But what happened was he wrote the film. It did really well. It won the the, the BAFTA, didn't it? And I think it won a lot of other stuff critically. And people would ask him. He got asked a lot, um, I think probably in interviews, but also just in general conversation. The sort of thing that you're asking now, is it meant to be a feature or what about the characters? What happens to the characters? And he always thought he was more interested in what happens to the female character. What's her story? What's her background? And what's her journey than than Joseph, the male yeah. Mullen's character, more Olivia Coleman's character. And I think, and again I say Paddy is probably better served. I'm just interpreting what I've what he's told me and what I've heard him tell other people. He just sat down, he decided, I'm I'm gonna find out and he sat down and he, he wrote it in one sitting pretty much. The film we shot is pretty much draft one. It just poured out <clears throat> and um, and he found out what happens to him when he wrote it. And as I say, he'd be better off yeah, telling yeah. that story. But that's the bones of it. That's so interesting. It's a bit like yeah.
0: Tony Pitts when Tony Pitts yeah, yeah. sits down to write. It's usually the first try, you know, Tony. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Paul, so, yeah, I'm gonna end, kind of where we, we started.
1: I'm, alav- I'm enjoying this. I'm, I'm just, enjoying this. We're... Just warming up. Oh, I right. usually don't talk. I'm usually really
0: kind of... Well, for know. someone who doesn't talk, <laughs> we're doing very
1: well. I know. I'm usually like Mr Private and uh, don't ask me anything about me and super kind of... Uh...
0: Um, I used to ask uh, a question and I very rarely ask questions because you know what this podcast is like. We just, we just have a conversation and we see where we go. But I used to end with a question, and it was similar to what I'm going to ask you now. But I used to ask, uh, "Are you happy?" Yeah. I used to ask, "Are you happy?" For to some people, I don't, uh, I don't because, like that word, happy. No, I know. But the thing is, well, it's funny you don't like it because it's going to. Well, come it's up not in that I don't like
1: it, but I'm like more like content.
0: Yeah, but it's you know it's very rare that we get asked this. Yeah. I'll ask you this, and if you don't like it, then well, it's we'll, not that we'll I just don't like it.
1: It's like I just—I just think, it's like, it's when people say I want to be happy, God, but what does that? What does ah, that ah well, that's a,
0: that's a completely different question, well, isn't is it?
1: it? Yeah, I, you've not even asked your question, no, yet, so I'm going to shut up. But um, just going
0: back to Prue's questionnaire: When and where were you
1: happiest? <sighs> that's interesting. In life or in my career?
0: I think you can interpret the answer of that question any way you like.
1: That's a really, really deep question. Yeah. And not, I don't have a problem with, with answering a deep question, but I do want to kind of... Think about it. Think about it and, like, get it right. But I think in terms of my career, and I know that's not really what you're asking, but I always said this to, to, to Paddy, like, I feel... I feel most alive creatively when I'm working with him and other people, you know, not just him. But, like, I probably feel my most valued on his set.
0: Because of how he makes you feel?
1: Yeah, yeah. You feel like you're... Maybe it's because he's an actor, maybe it's because he's a friend, or maybe it's just because he is who he is. Well, yeah. As a person. But I always feel... He's got a very particular
0: energy, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, and also I've never auditioned for him. Do you know what I mean? And, like, I'm not good at auditioning. I don't have huge confidence. Even after all this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: even what, after all this time. What, what is it about that, then?
1: I don't know. I just, like, I had this conversation with Andrew Eaton the other week when we had dinner, and I was like, he was saying about, like, you've got a great body of work and people love you, and, like... i was like, yeah, I don't see that, though. I just see, like, an, a, a dad trying to graft and, do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah because like, I sometimes i have uh, you know side hustle and day jobs and doing what I have to do to put a mo- pay the mortgage and, and feed my kids and not that like you know or hand to mouth or anything but like it's just like I don't see that version of me that's not who I am i don't I don't communicate with the art, people in the arts on a daily basis do you know what I mean it's like not because I don't want to it's just not it's not my day-to-day reality' it's no, just of course. About dropping the kids off, picking them up I think mean, taking them to uh, not drama, the don't do drama, gymnastics <laughs> or football or yeah. whatever. Like and the day's uh, gone. Yeah, the day's gone and like, boom, I sit down and maybe watch some on telly or, or, or you know, I watched a lot of football <laughs> during lockdown because there was loads of You know, But anyway, what am I trying to say? I'm rambling like mad. Um, I just, I, I, auditioning, I'm not good at auditioning. Um, I always think, just give me the job, I'll fucking nail it for you. You know, I taught myself out of jobs because, like, I can't do it. Or
0: Does it ever get to a point with you, where, a bit like what Andrew was saying, you've got a good body of work and we're doing this for over 20 years, and it's like, well, you know I can do that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Do I, just, I have to jump through I know, those, those it, hoops again? Yeah,
1: and I wrestle with it. Like, I wrestle with it because of, like, I've done a lot of work on myself, like, as a person over the years because I've had to, and... So I've got a bit of insight, right, into human nature and my own human nature. And sometimes I have to question my motives about that and, like, make sure I'm not saying it out of ego because I'm not one of them. Do you know who I am? I'm I'm just not that person. We know that. But, like, I'm, like, I did get asked to audition for a short film recently and I'm, like, I'm not auditioning for that. Like, it's nice, it's a good film, but I'm, like, 25 years of work, endless bits of, like... I was, like, look send them this link and send them that, and if they want to offer me, I'd love to do it. Do you know what I mean? But, like, it's a bit like that. That sounds quite grand, and I don't I mean, mean it I, like I, that. I know you don't I mean do it like that. I do audition. I'll audition for, like, a couple of lines in summer, but I do feel like that sometimes After Like, what I'm trying to say is, like, Michael offers me stuff, Paddy offers me stuff. I haven't auditioned for Michael since 24 Party People, which is 20 years ago, and I haven't... I've never auditioned. Met casting whatever we want to call, call it. it, you know, meeting interview whatever you want to call it for, for for Paddy, you know, for Journeyman, he sends me a text going, "I'm sending you a script, mate. I want you to do it." You know, um, so you immediately feel valued. Do you but there's a I mean? trust and, there as well. Yeah, Paul. there is. There is, and
0: so of course I, you're you're I, saying I, sorry. But you're saying. When you're on the set with Paddy, of course it's the most alive you feel because there's a mutual respect and there's trust and you, there. And you're
1: brought in, he leaves you voice notes. He's the first, it seems that like everybody's doing voice notes now, but it's been a thing that I only ever used to know from Paddy. He'd just leave voice notes all the time and he would leave them in the morning. You know, gone. I'm thinking about this for today, let me know when you get there. And you just feel like it's a real collaborative piece. And I've done theatre work like that as well, you know. Most recently, um, on a Maxine Pete project, and you just feel a part of. Like yeah. this is collaborative, and this is really interesting, and we're all in this together. But isn't that one
0: of the reasons we got into it in the yeah, first but place? I don't always feel that. Do but you, know, you don't I mean, always particularly feel it when
1: you're guesting or stuff like that. And... You
0: don't feel it all all the time because it's not always there yeah, all maybe, the time. Maybe, that's maybe. that's the point. Maybe. But that's and why I feel be alive.
1: So it's nothing to do with being. Offered stuff or not offered stuff, but you feel more like valued and like creative and alive creatively, which makes me feel content and I'm, which I'll probably choose to say instead of happy but um but also surely, in that moment
0: it's best for everybody because not just you, anybody in that situation is going to be producing the best work, yeah because the're grounded
1: so. yeah. And you feel like you're, you're safe to explore or give or not give. And, yeah, I struggle with auditioning. Like, I do audition loads, you know, and self-tapes and stuff, but I, I, I question myself too much and double question. And um, I know you never asked this question, but it's like, I don't know what you're like, but, like, I remember when Taranis opened some really interesting doors and suddenly I was getting seen for for stuff that I could only ever imagine getting seen for. And um, I used to nail the first audition and then I'd be sat in the room with the recall and surrounded by people who I've admired their work for years who I think, oh, they're not going to give me it when they've got that as an option, are they? So we- and then, like, before I go in for the second audition, I've already talked myself out of it, and I, I just have a fucking near-on panic attack in the room. Not literally, but, no. like, you know, I'm going under. <laughs> and I can barely speak, and I'm thinking, I fucked that up again. And, um, I, I saw on Twitter a while ago about, there's a casting person talking about, like, you know, if you can't deliver in the audition process, you won't be able to deliver on set. And, I don't agree with that. I totally disagree with yeah. that because, you know, um, <clears throat> as I say, people have offered me work and I just smash it. And that's the, and, and sometimes people have offered me work, and I maybe not smashed it. <laughs> as, as is the way with everybody, yeah. <laughs> But like, yeah, I just think, just just give me it, and I'll I'll fucking okay, I'll be great for you. Yeah, but she uh, can't. Whoever that was, <clears throat> well, it it matter. But doesn't like, matter. But no, it doesn't matter. Not to discredit anybody, but I just not thought all, but... I don't agree with that. That's all I thought was it's not about agreeing or disagreeing. It was just like that's not my experience my experience I, is if you give me the job I'll I'll I'll, like, I'll thrive but if you put me in an audition room in that pressure and that situation I kind of go under a bit
0: but it's a completely unnatural uh, uh scenario yeah it's yeah it, uh, uh, that's not you're not on set you're not uh, the other people aren't there there's no, I disagree. Yeah. I, I do disagree with
1: that. And maybe I'm taking them out of context, but that, just that reading that statement, I thought that's not my experience. Um, so happiest work, yeah, in in life when I'm at my most happiest. When I'm in nature, probably. <clears throat> well, I was gonna say because when I'm in nature. I felt I went up to like um, I went camping on my own the other week. Like obviously, when I'm with my kids, that's kind of a given. Do you know what I mean? I took my kids paddle boarding recently, and you know, then a couple of times in kayaking. And "Oh, do I have to go for the export. <laughs> and then when we get there, like, wow, this yeah. is amazing! Can we come next week? Yeah. You know, after
0: battles, getting yeah, them out there, and
1: they've they, they been since, and they love it, and they want to go again, and stuff like that. But just nature, I love. I've got into running the last few years, and I much prefer running in trails than I do the road. I went off to the lakes on my own the other week, took a one-man tent and kind of went wild swimming in a tarn up the mountain and wild swimming in, in Lake Coniston, which is still quite cold.
0: It looked beautiful, though. Yeah,
1: and just walked up the mountain and ran down it. I'm Kind of quite technical running, so I really pelted it down the mountain, bouncing off rocks and stuff, and I just, I feel alive. I just feel like, and you look down on nature oh, you kind of up at the the old man of Coniston, you see Lake Coniston and other lakes and you see the Irish Sea and you just think, we are so small, you know what I mean? And, like, the world, God, whatever you believe in, like, nature, whatever, is just infinite, finite, you know, and I just, yeah, that's when I think I feel alive, when I'm kind of connecting with my own soul and nature, not to sound too kind of, but I'm just like, yeah, I think happy i don't i don't really go in for happy not that's when i feel content and alive and at one and just like yeah i'm alright and when i'm staying in good mental emotional spiritual well-being and i'm just okay in my own skin without the distraction of a phone or music or telly i can just sit when i can do that then i know i'm I'm in a good place, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's when I'm looking that I'm after fix or I'm on right move looking at houses I can't afford, (laughs) do you know what I mean? And I'm thinking, you know, maybe something's a bit out of tune here. But I don't know whether I'm answering your question, but, yeah, when I'm I'm looking after myself and I'm in a good space and I can sit with myself, I think, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all right here, I'm content. Or, Or when I'm in nature or when I'm running through woods or whatever, I just feel... I don't even have to be running; I could be walking, or just like nature. Is, I found this out in later life. I mean, I right. always got of knew it. My mum and dad used to take us, you know, in nature as kids. But like, I <clears throat> got distracted by partying and girls, and you know, life, and and uh, I'm reconnecting with kind of all that over the last few years, and I'm well, and, and I'm loving it.
0: It's important, but you know. Life does get in the way. Paul, this has been a a joy. Thanks
1: so much. Thank you. It's been fun.
0: And another episode is done. What a delight Paul is. Um, If you haven't seen any of the films that we very briefly touched on, then do go back, do take a look at Dog All Together, which is... Uh, Paddy's short film that, which I think we discussed, was pretty much shot for shot. The first sort of I don't know, ten or twelve minutes of uh, the feature film *Tyrannosaur*. I uh, do go back and uh, yeah, girdy lines with that. It's uh, strong stuff. Um, well, look, here's hoping that from now on, it's going to be person to person podcast recordings, I mean, if there's one thing I could, well, no, it's not the one, there's many things I should wish for, that, that would be way down the list of more important things, it's just a podcast, um, but yeah, I really hope we get to do more of these, I have a sneaking suspicion that there will be some remotes coming up, but still, look, if we can carry on getting the episodes out, oh, that's all that matters really, isn't it? Yeah, look, thank you so much for downloading, please do me a little favor, if you can't support us on Patreon, I know sometimes it's difficult, month to month, people drop off, people come in, if you can support us on Patreon, we are patreon.com forward slash the two shop podcast, um, if you like what we're doing, these free podcasts that we're giving week in, week out, and going through the back catalogue, I mean, just go and pick who, who you haven't listened to yet, you may be surprised, um, Yeah, if you can support us there, that'd be fantastic. If you can't, here's what I'd really like you to do. If this month you can't afford to throw us a few quid, that's okay. Don't worry, somebody else is going to do that for you this month. Uh, Could you go and tell a handful of friends or post about it on social media? Uh, That would be really good because, you know spreading the word really really helps us so uh do that you know where we are we're on twitter at two shot pod instagram facebook if you want to drop us an email you can it's always lovely to hear from you we are two shot at gmail.com see i know the email address now after five years um well look i've got to go I've got to pack some cases and get out of dodge as quick as possible. But I will see you all next week. So until then, I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been The Two Shot Podcast. You take care of yourself, all right? The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.